You are listening to a message from City Church of Richmond, located in Richmond, Virginia. We are a broken people, loved by God, continually restored by Christ, and sent out to worship God, serve our city, and work for its renewal. To learn more about City Church and to find out how to get connected to our community, visit our website at citychurchrva.com. That's C-I-T-Y-C-H-U-R-C-H-R-V-A.com. And thanks for listening. It's great to see all of you here this afternoon. My name is Eric Bonkowski. I'm one of the pastors here at City Church. I do want to mention uh, just one other announcement as folks are uh, making their way back to their seats. And that's that uh, two weeks from yesterday, on October 22nd, we will have our annual harvest party. And it's going to be out at Park and Meadow Farm in Goochland. And uh, we have some invitations in the form of uh, koozies out in the narthex. If you haven't taken one of those, um, please do. That's intended for you. And it's intended that you take uh, an extra one or two and give them to friends or neighbors. If you've never been to the harvest party before, uh, it's not lame. It's really awesome. You should come. It's fun for the whole family. I know sometimes harvest party sound, it sounds kind of lame. You're like, oh, there's going to be like, it's a point. So uh, please come on out. It starts at three. It goes till about seven when it starts to get dark and uh, you don't want to miss it. So I wanted to make that announcement. Um, so here at City Church, this fall we've been talking in a sermon series about being sent out. And last week, um, I talked about how we as a church are sent out in mercy. And uh, while I was up here talking and droning on and on, a man entered the back, uh, the front doors of the church and came into the narthex. And uh, he ran into one of our deacons. And this man said that he needed some clothes, that he only had one pair of clothes, and the clothes that he was wearing um, were, were, had worn out. And so our deacon, who happened to be back there last week, uh, left the service and drove to Target and bought this man a pair of clothes. Uh, I didn't know anything about this while the service was going on, but while I was up here uh, reading from Scripture, reading from Matthew 25, where it says, when did I see you naked and clothe you? While I was saying that, a member of our church was, was doing that very work, that very work of mercy to a man um, here in Richmond. And uh, again, I didn't discover this until uh, the next day at our staff meeting as we were sitting around and someone shared all that had gone on. And uh, as, as we were talking about it and kind of celebrating the faithfulness of this deacon, uh, Tracy Woodfin, who's a member of our staff, said what everyone else was thinking. And she said, well, it's a good thing Eric wasn't back there in the narthex because <laughs> he only would have gotten a dollar. <laughs> Um, and she's right. She's, she's not wrong. Um, here's the thing. I, I know that both in my own life, in my own heart, and uh, from what I've heard about conversations that you've had this past week, whether in your city group or uh, with a friend or with a spouse, uh, this conversation around mercy has made you think about your own hearts and uh, has made you assess to what extent your own heart and your own generosity reflects the heart and the generosity of our God. And I'm so thankful for that because that's the whole purpose of why we gather around God's word and why we're going through this sermon series. 
and why uh, we're intentionally, as we look at these different ways that we're sent out, we're always connecting them back to God, right? Because we are sent out in mercy because God has been so merciful to us. And today I'm going to talk about uh, justice, that we are a people who are sent out to do justice. And that's because God is a God of justice himself. He has given uh, us justice through his son Jesus Christ. And that is how and why we are commissioned to go and live that way as well. Now, mercy and justice are two ideas that are closely wed together. We're going to see that some more later this afternoon. But I also know that maybe when you came in and you saw the sermon title today, Sent Out to Do Justice, or as you've heard me mention that as the theme today, uh, you've pricked up a little bit. Maybe you've gotten a little bit nervous because justice is a loaded term. Uh, There's some of you who are worried that I'm going to reveal myself today as a woke pastor who is really a a closet social justice warrior. As soon as you hear that word, that's that's the concern. Uh, There are others of you who are concerned that when I'm done today, I won't have talked about your cause, the cause of justice that you think is vitally important. I realize that both groups exist. What I want to implore you to do today as I speak about this topic is um, listen for God's heart for justice. I'm going to share some examples. I'm going to talk about some things. But what's more important is that you hear God's heart for justice. And in order to do that, we're going to read some scripture There's a lot of scripture that we could choose to read. I'm going to read a passage from Amos chapter 5. Amos is one of the minor prophets in the Old Testament. If I I made you look it up in the Bible, it might take you a while to find it. Uh, So it's printed in your worship guide. Uh, And you can follow along there. If you're good with your Bible, you can open up. It's right after Joel. All right, I'm going to read Amos 5, verses 6 through 24. This is God's word for us this afternoon. Here's what it says. Seek the Lord and live, lest he break out like fire in the house of Joseph, and it devour with none to quench it for Bethel. O you who turn justice to wormwood and cast down righteousness to the earth, he who made the Pleiades and Orion and turns deep darkness into morning and darkens the day into night, who calls for the waters of the sea and pours them out on the surface of the earth, the Lord is his name, who makes destruction flash forth against the strong, so that destruction comes upon the fortress. They hate him who reproves in the gate, and they abhor him who speaks the truth. Therefore, because you trample on the poor, and you exact taxes of grain from him, you have built houses of hewn stone, but you shall not dwell in them. You have planted pleasant vineyards, but you shall not drink their wine. For I know how many are your transgressions and how great are your sins. You who afflict the righteous, who take a bribe and turn aside the needy in the gate. Therefore, he who is prudent will keep silent in such a time, for it is an evil time. Seek good and not evil that you may live. And so the Lord, the God of hosts, will be with you as you have said. 
hate evil and love good and establish justice in the gate. It may be that the Lord, the God of hosts, will be gracious to the remnant of Joseph. Therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of hosts, the Lord, in all the squares there shall be wailing, in all the streets they shall say, alas, alas. They shall call the farmers to mourning and to wailing, those who are skilled in lamentation. And in all vineyards there shall be wailing, for I will pass through your midst, says the Lord. Woe to you who desire the day of the Lord. Why would you have the day of the Lord? It is darkness and not light. As if a man fled from a lion and and a bear met him, or went into the house and leaned his hand against the wall and a serpent bit him. Is not the day of the Lord darkness and not light and gloom with no brightness in it? I hate, I despise your feasts, and I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me your burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. And the peace offerings of your fattened animals, I will not look upon them. Take away from me the noise of your songs. To the melody of your harps, I will not lessen. But let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please pray with me. Father, we heard earlier in our service about the implanted word that is able to bring us salvation. So we ask now that you would implant this, your holy word, in our hearts so that we would know our rescue through Jesus Christ. Give us ears to listen to your voice, to your heart, to cut through all the noise of our lives and lead us to an accurate picture of justice. We pray this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So one of the things throughout this series that we've been emphasizing is how what we're called to do in the world derives from what God has done in the world and is doing in the world, specifically through his son, Jesus Christ. And how the, the big acts, the big activities of Jesus' life become signs to us of, uh, of how we are to go out into the world. So Christ came and was incarnate. We are to go out in an embodied way and love others. Uh, Christ came and he was crucified. And so our path in the world is one of suffering. Uh, But we also carry with us the resurrection, these other great acts of Jesus' life. Uh, Today, like last week, we see that um, the basis of justice flows from the coming day of the Lord. That's uh, so much of what the prophets and Amos are all about. He's he's, uh, looking forward. He's looking into the future at the promised day of the Lord. And there's lots of symbolism about this, specifically symbolism involving fire and water. It's a a day um, that is dangerous and foreboding. It is the day when Christ returns to judge everything in this world. And, and, and so I want you to understand that the call to justice is rooted in the work that God has done and the work that God is going to do on the last day through Jesus. And, and today what I want to talk about is, is justice in two ways. First, how we can know justice and then how we can do justice. Well, how do we know justice? The, the first 
the first thing to do is, is to ask, what comes to mind when I say that word? Justice. You know, it's this abstract word. It's kind of hard to pin down or hard to get our, um, our hands around, isn't it? Justice. It's a good word. We want justice, but what comes to mind? Maybe a court of law. Or maybe this basic idea of getting what you deserve. Then justice will be served if the person who was wrong gets what they deserve. There are some different types of justice that the Bible talks about and that we understand in our lives. The, the first one to come to our minds is probably retributive justice. That's kind of an eye for an eye. You get what you deserve in a negative sense. You've done something wrong and God is going to punish you for it. Retributive justice. But there's another called remunerative justice. And this is uh, paying back for doing good. And actually, the, the Bible talks more about this positive side of justice than the negative. That the righteous those who have been merciful, those who have been kind, those who have been tenderhearted, they will also be paid back by God with blessing and with righteousness. There's another sort of justice as well that the Bible is full of, and it's restorative justice. It's not just retributive, it's not just remunerative, it's also restorative. And that means setting all things right. That is the aim of justice we can begin to see these different types of justice as we look at God. I, um, a few weeks ago, uh, after our worship service, I sat in with the third through fifth graders in their Sunday formation class. That's a great group of kids, let me tell you that. And they were doing this lesson where they were talking about the different attributes of God. These big words that they could read, I can barely pronounce them, but words like omniscient and omnipotent and righteous and just. Just. Justice in this world flows out of God being just. The idea of justice and our being sent out to do justice is very near to the heart of God. It flows out of his character. You see, we as God's people are meant to bear his image in the world. And if God is just, then one of the things that we are to bear in the world is his justice, is to carry that out wherever we go. And as I said earlier, this word justice is very closely linked to the word mercy. It's not different. It doesn't exist in a whole different sphere than mercy. It is aligned with it. We see that even in this passage. Mercy or righteousness and justice are linked together. So we can come to know justice uh, through God. We can also come to know justice through the Bible and how the Bible talks about the word justice. Now, this is going to get a little technical for just a minute, but I think it's helpful. It was helpful for me anyway in understanding uh, what the word justice means. Uh, in the New Testament, which is written in Greek, there's a word, dikaiosune, uh, and it's a word that is typically translated into the English as righteousness. 
But that one Greek word actually translates two separate Hebrew words. Those Hebrew words are mishpat and sadak. Mishpat means justice, and sadak means righteousness. So the one Greek word is used to translate these two Hebrew words with slightly different meanings. But what happens in the New Testament is we read that word translated primarily as righteousness. And the justice part of that word, the mishpat, kind of gets lost. But really, in the New Testament, we, when we come across the word righteous or righteousness, it's carrying both that idea and the idea of justice. Those two are linked. We see it in Amos in verse 7. It says, O you who turn justice to wormwood and cast down righteousness to the earth. It's Hebrew parallelism. And it's drawing a link between justice and righteousness. Those two words have a similar semantic meaning. We see it again in verse 24 in our passage. But let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Whatever justice is, it's very close to righteousness. And so uh, there are some scholars who, who actually suggest that a better understanding of this Greek word is uh, the word rectification, which is kind of okay, except no one knows what rectification means, right? What it means is setting all things right. That is the work of justice, setting all things right. And it's a word that carries a very active meaning. You see, when we started talking about justice, I described it as this abstract word. Justice is something ethereal out there. But in the Bible, as God talks about justice, it is an active word. It's not an abstract noun. It's a dynamic verb. It's something that God does, that he brings about. He looks at a broken world. He looks at a world that's bent out of the way that it's supposed to be, and he makes it right. That's justice. And God, being who he is, invites his image bearers into that very work. Not to worship or think about or dream about some abstract word, justice, but to do acts of justice, to bring it about wherever and however we can. So we know justice through God, we know justice through the Bible, and most importantly, climactically, we know justice through the cross. Because the cross of Jesus Christ is the high point of God doing the work of justice. And there at the cross, it is filled with retributive justice, that justice that is punishment, right? Because punishment, God's judgment of, on all the sins of the world are poured out. But the wonder, the mystery, the glory of the cross is that they aren't poured out on you and me who have committed those sins. They are poured out on another. They are poured out on Jesus. But because God is just, he is faithful to his justice. He is faithful to his character there at the cross. Retributive justice. And so we, we heard, and, and maybe you caught this if you were paying close attention, as Tom read the assurance of pardon. It says that in the death of Christ, God was both 
just and the justifier. He was just and he was setting things right by pouring out judgment on Christ so that we could receive the righteousness of God. And the cross, of course, can never be separated or divorced from what happens next, the resurrection. And in the resurrection, we see the fulfillment of God's justice. It's a vindication of all the work that Jesus has done. And in the resurrection, we see God beginning to remake the world, to set it right, to repair it, to restore it, restorative justice. Retributive justice at the cross, restorative justice in the resurrection and its ongoing work. So I hope that that outline, and I know I've moved through this quickly and referenced a lot of biblical theology, but I'm trying to help you begin to understand, to know what justice is. And in the time that I have left, I want to switch and I want to talk about how we do justice. Once we know justice, well, how do we do it? And and the the, the first point is simply this. I feel like I've said it uh, already this afternoon, but we do justice because justice has been done and will continue to be done by Jesus Christ or by God through Jesus Christ. That's why we are called to do justice. You see, this is important because what it saves us from is thinking that all justice depends on us. No. Justice is God's work, but he invites us into that work. God's justice is going to come one way or the other. The last day is coming. But God privileges us and values us so much that he invites us, his people, to bear it in the world. So we do justice because it's being done by God through Christ. We also do justice, this is important, because approximate justice is a foretaste of heaven. Heaven, a place of complete justice, complete righteousness. But our doing justice here and now in this world, imperfectly, incompletely, becomes a foretaste for us and for others of what heaven will be. We do justice now, recognizing that this is a not yet world. It's not yet what it will be. You you know, sometimes there's a defeater, and and one of the things we say in our minds or we say out loud, and the reasons we give for not doing justice is that we can't do it all. This world's going to remain broken, isn't it? Some justice is better than no justice. Do something. Do some justice, even if it doesn't bring justice everywhere into everyone. That is the work that we're called to do. So we do justice because God has done justice. We do justice uh, as a foretaste of the heavenly reality. And then we do justice because the mission of God's people always and everywhere includes an undeniable ethical dimension. God's people, as he has sent them out from the beginning of time, has always included living a certain way. You know, the, the, the biblical archetype of humans being sent out into the world 
is Abraham. Genesis 12. He is chosen by God. He is blessed by God. And it says in Genesis that he is blessed to be a blessing to others. Some of that blessing that he is to bear to others includes the work of justice. Don't believe me? Let me read from um, Genesis 18. Genesis 18, verse 19 says this, For I have chosen Abraham, that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice, so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised him. The very beginning of the Bible, the very archetype of all of God's people being sent out into the world, what is Abraham commissioned to do? Righteousness and justice. It's not, uh, it's not something new. It's not something that people just dreamed up recently to be about the work of justice. It has always been true for the faithful people of God. So, what that means is that both individually and corporately, I believe that we are called to participate in God setting all things right in this world. Both individually and corporately, we're called to do that. Well, what does that look like? Well, individually, uh, it's as simple as living with integrity. If you go back and read through that Amos 5 passage, it talks about some very simple things of a life of integrity that you and I can begin to adopt. It talks about speaking truth and opposing falsehood. It talks about not accepting bribes. These are signals or these are examples of living with integrity. I play in a a rec volleyball league on Monday nights. And volleyball is a great sport because um, it requires integrity. There are honor calls, right? Not just was that ball in or out, but did you touch that ball on a block? And you live with integrity, you live with justice when you say, yeah, I touched that. I hit the net. It's your point. It's a small example, right? But it's an example of justice. When I was a kid, probably in second or third grade, I lived in a small town in Vermont. And on the way home from school, I passed a, a store that, um, called Dan and Wits. Their tagline was, if we don't have it, you don't need it. Right? It's one of those stores that have everything. And they definitely had candy. And I went into that store, and I would uh, steal candy off the shelf and put it in my backpack and walk out and then walk home eating candy until my mom found out. And she believed in justice, and she wanted her son to believe in justice. So she took me back down to Dan and Wits, and I had to go talk to the manager and tell him what I did. Living with integrity individually in small ways that become big ways Because there's a connection between how we live out justice individually and how it manifests corporately. I think the great example of this is taking a bribe, which is mentioned in this passage. It says in verse 12, who afflict the righteous, who take a bribe. Take a bribe, take a little more money than you're deserved. It doesn't seem like it's a big 
problem until everyone starts doing that. Everyone in power, the police and the customs officials and the government officials take bribes. And you end up with a culture like there are in some African countries or like there are uh, currently in the people who are trying to escape Russia and get across the border that are based on bribes because justice is being flaunted and injustice is being embraced. What starts as individual becomes corporate and communal. So what I'm, what I'm trying to say is that this call to participate in God's justice, it is something for you personally to do, but it's also something for us to think about corporately. Because injustice or justice begins to play out systematically. It begins to play out structurally in our lives. Whether in uh, the police, in customs, in government, in the church, in schools, whatever the setting. And I think this passage points us in that direction in a few different places. But look specifically at verse 15. It says there, Hate evil and love good and establish justice in the gate. What the heck does that mean? Well, the gate was the public place. The gate was uh, the public sphere. The public square where the important events of the city took place. And Amos is saying, you must establish justice there, in the structures, in the systems of your society. And we, as the people of God, are called to respond to that. And it, it goes on to give us some examples, even in Amos 5. It talks about the needy. Do not turn aside the needy. Well, who are the needy? Maybe for us, it's those who don't have housing. Maybe it's those who don't have access to education. Are we turning aside the needy even in the systems of our lives, the structures of our lives? If we pull back a little bit from Amos 5 and begin to think about the Old Testament as a whole, there are countless examples of this a corporate pursuit of justice. Go back and read through Psalm 146, which was our call to worship today. And notice all the areas that it talks about pursuing justice as the people of God. Caring for the oppressed, setting the prisoners free, tending to the sojourners and the immigrants, caring for the fatherless and the widows. This is corporate work that we are called to do as the people of God to present God's just heart to the world. There are examples in Amos and examples in the Old Testament, examples in Jesus' life and his ministry, and they're present-day examples too, right? And we could talk about any number of these for weeks on end. You know, Amos 5, and, and one of the reasons that at least the final verse I read maybe is familiar to you is because it was one of uh, Martin Luther King Jr.'s most famous uh, favorite verses. And he would talk in the context of race and the racial reckoning that our country needed in the civil rights era. He would talk about God's justice flowing down, rolling down like waters and like an ever-flowing stream. That became a refrain in his message. We could talk about justice around race. Or, we heard from Anne today, we could talk about the unborn. And, and the value of life and the need for justice for the most uh, vulnerable in our society. 
the young and the very old and the disabled. Those are issues of justice that we are called to represent God into. But I want to end this message by talking about one other example that I think is a great example of justice. It's pursuing God's justice for those who have been abused. You know, last Saturday, the City Church and a few other churches in Richmond put together this conference called the Church's Refuge and brought in a woman who's a a world-renowned expert on the topic of abuse of power, sexual abuse, spiritual abuse. Her name's Dr. Diane Langberg. I wasn't able to go to the conference, but this week... I've listened to her talks. And she is a powerful and prophetic voice of justice and how we as people are called to bring about justice to the most vulnerable among us, to those who have been abused. And I, and I encourage all of you to, to listen to these talks. Email me. And I'll tell you how you, I'll afford them to you. They're all on YouTube. I can send them to you. You will not think about God's heart for justice or God's heart for the oppressed, God's heart for the abused the same way after you listen to her talks. And you know what she says? She, she says that justice starts by listening for the cries of those in need. That's where it starts. But are our lives too busy with other sounds to even hear them? I know mine is most of the time. Our God is a God of justice. He is both just and the justifier of sinners like you and me. But once we know his love, once we know his righteousness, he calls us to be both individually and together people who will bear his justice in the world and listen to the cries of those who are hurting. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your heart and your character that doesn't ever overlook the oppressed and the vulnerable and the needy. We thank you that as that describes us and where we felt most vulnerable and needy and oppressed, you have come to us and saved us. And we pray that through the work of Christ and through the power of your Holy Spirit, we would live now with justice doing justice, not just knowing it, dreaming about it, but enacting it in this world. We pray that as we do that, the city would rejoice and lives would be saved and all things would be set right. We pray this all in the name of Jesus. Amen.